Good morning. Welcome to Talking in Stations, a show about EVE Online, a spaceship game. If you're watching us live on Twitch TV, we have a podcast version on talkinginstations.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We also have a YouTube hub with videos on demand at youtube.com slash talkinginstations, all one word. Today we have Invasion Episode 49, titled Winter in Tribute. Join us to hear why. I'm your host, Carneros, and I'm joined by my co-host and two guests today, and we'll, we'll let them introduce themselves here. Hi, I'm Elise. Uh, glad to be here. Sorry I missed last week. It was a great show. I, I was able to uh, catch parts of it live, and then I just listened to the podcast afterwards. Uh, but we've got a little bit of a fun continuation going on here. Nice. Uh, hi, I'm Dave Zeta. I'm a director in Road Capel, uh, sometimes FC and Diplo as well. Nice. And I'm Murray Rothbardo. I'm one of the main FCs for Unspoken Alliance, which is an alliance currently situated in Tribute. Nice. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, excellent. As usual, we're going to actually start off with our news segment and then come back and talk about our main topics in a, in a few minutes here. Uh, on the news section, uh, as you know, we're just finishing up Eve, on, EVE London, which is the last leg of the Invasion World Series tour, where they went around and did little mini fan fests in various cities of the world. Uh, and uh, there were a number of things that were talked about in that. Yeah, it was very much like a, it was a real hype. Like, I know it was uh, one of the smaller events that they had, barring the uh, <laughs> the fan fest at home where they're just in some guy's house. Uh, but there was a lot of, like, big information in this thing. My guys that went to it said it did not feel small at all. It's It felt like a big a big crowded room and a good-sized crowd and uh, good energy. They, they didn't, they said it felt bigger than they expected. But let's go over some of the news that they said there. Um, first of all, mentioned before, but uh, also covered again at Eve London, Invasion Chapter 2 arrives on Tuesday. That's Tuesday, November 26th. From the time we're recording this, that's not very far. And that brings us the shared bookmarks, the Zernitra uh, Triglavian Dreadnought with the new ammo, the Mimesis implant set that enhances the peak damage of your Triglavianness at the cost of a slower ramp up. Uh, there's the new Firestorm skins that are coming for your ships. There's the new Triglavian combat experience that we don't know too much about yet. Or do you, Elise? The one where um, you have to make a big choice? Yeah, from what I understand, you get to choose between uh, when you're doing the, uh, the high sec uh, invasions, you get to choose are you going to work? Uh, against the drifters or you're going to work against the empires uh which is uh, kind of a big thing i know a lot of groups uh, on tq are already like adopting or have already adopted like the triglavian meme so they all have the uh triglavian outfits on uh going clade obviously i know asherathi was like super hype about this when he heard uh, at e-vegas uh and he was like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna work with the triglavians of course uh, and the Amar role players like, oh, no, of course, you don't work with the uh, Triglavians. That would be heresy. No. So it's created a lot of ripples in not only the RP community, but like the the people that do all the Triglavian invasion stuff, which is about to get a lot more profitable, I believe, uh, because of this, uh, the 
the demand for those dreadnoughts is going to be pretty massive, I'd say. We have a Do we know anything yet about how they're going to distribute it? From what I uh, heard at uh, from like little snippets of people talking at roundtables and stuff like that, uh, it's going to be part of like um, uh, the high. It's not going to be something that you find solely in the abyssal sites. It's going to be in the like the the group sites, the the group invasion sites. All right, so no BPOs. You have to go get BPC drops. Yeah, exactly. All right, all right, all right. Gobble gobble. Okay, um, and then. Uh, but some more information came out at uh, Eve London. So let's look at some of that. The rapid fire part, is that the same day? The Team Talos rapid fire. Is that uh, November 26th or is that December 10th? I think that's uh, coming in. No, Kicking this... Over Castles is December 10th. So this is... The the rapid fire might be coming a little bit early because I got it in, a, in an Eve mail, actually. Uh, CCB yeah. like sent me not an email, an email. Sorry, <laughs> I can't differentiate. No, I did same thing. Yeah, but yeah. They they sent me this email on one of like my alt that I never used, so I didn't really recognize it. They're like, oh hey, look what we're we're doing all this stuff to uh, to Minmatar guns and projectiles and just Minmatar ships. Enjoy. So I was like, oh shit. I know a lot of uh, a lot of people are going to be really happy about this. Uh, at Vegas, we thought it might have just been uh, a Munin uh, nerf. Because the the Munin is an overwhelmingly uh, powerful ship right now, uh, so they're going to tweak it down a little bit. And we thought that's that could be like where it ended, but no, not at all. But this um, this little thing, rapid fire, includes buffs to auto, medium auto cannons. It includes buffs to the damage bonuses on the Stabber Fleet issue and the Tempest Fleet issue. It includes buffs to explosion velocity on the Typhoon and the Bellicose. I don't know if you agree with me, but I think the Typhoon, you know, is too cool a ship and has needed a little love for a while. You know, anyway, it, it looks definitely so needed. Uh, it definitely needed some love. I think right now the only people who are flying Typhoons are a Minmatar role player group um, headed by Deep Spar. Uh, I think they're the only ones that fly the, the Typhoon, and now maybe more people will give it uh, its due. Uh, it'll have a little bit uh, better projection. Uh, a little bit better application. You can do a rapid heavies with it and be a little bit more nimble, and uh, you know shoot some shoot some of the smaller ships without having to worry about uh, battleship slug vests, which is what typhoons are kind of used for now. Though with the warp speed changes, you know I think it's taken a while, but the meta may adjust to some of the more interesting battleship doctrines, and you can do interesting stuff with the foon between rapid heavy and cruise. Yeah, absolutely. And now that. Uh, uh, like the Bush meta is kind of uh, moving away, uh, at least for for medium gangs and up. Uh, it, it might be true that uh, a rapid rapid heavy typhoon could be, uh, you know, could have a role. Hope springs eternal, but the, actually, the big part of that update would not be any of those buffs. It would be the nerf to munins. What what do we know or could guess about the incoming nerf to munins? So the, the Munins are like this weird ship that make projectiles look good, right? So the projectiles themselves aren't that great. Um, autocannons are kind of hot garbage right now because of the way that they were initially designed to work based on... Uh, so the idea for, for medium projectiles uh, is that you get to just do all your damage and fall off. Uh, so you could use your speed superiority as a mid ship. 
to do damage and fall off and kite in and out between optimal and fall off. But that play doesn't really exist too much, uh, which means that the medium projectiles just kind of suck um, because you're always shooting in fall off. And so you're always doing less damage than you think you're doing. Um, the Muni doesn't have that, that issue at all because all it does is it tries to uh, fly around. It's a pretty tanky ship itself. And it uses howitzers, the 720s. So it just alphas through targets uh, without having to worry about reps or anything like that. Um, and you can even get two shots off if you, because of uh, the way it works. And then you have the ADC to uh, you know really boost up your tank so you don't lose critical mass uh, nearly fast enough. So what I imagine they're going to do is probably going to lower the power grade a little bit uh, to make it. You have to make uh, new choices uh, based on what you're going to do. So um, you can't necessarily fit the tank, the damage mods, the ADC, and the the guns. You're going to have to choose. Hey, do I lower my tank down a little bit to to do this firepower, or do I get rid of some gyros? Um, so I think that's the direction they're going to do. Like the little small things. We're not talking about. Uh, making the ship worthless or making you have to fit like uh, 650s or something like that. So I don't know. I mean, I, I've seen CCP nerfs for stuff that's dominant before. I wouldn't be surprised if the projection gets pulled back a little bit because, I mean, part of the advantage is they're so fast and, uh, you know, project so far, you know, while still getting that really nice alpha that, I don't know, maybe a nerf to projection too. Yeah, I mean, depending on what stats they go for, if they do actually go after the speed, that'll probably change a lot because it'll let people actually maneuver around grid and other things. If they want to use T3Cs or Eagles or other things that can kind of keep up, then things might get interesting. But if they just poke a little bit at like the fall off or something, you'll still see a big pile of munins because losing 10, 20 kilometers worth of range isn't going to matter when you can just boat over at 2,400 meters a second and just shoot them in their face. Nice. Now these these things are coming next Tuesday, but something else is coming in a very some well, rapid fire I don't know exactly when it is, but it could be as early as Tuesday. The the invasion chapter 2 is Tuesday. There's another thing coming starting I think it's Wednesday. And that is a, a sort of a Black Friday <laughs> skill points and boosters giveaway. That's going to run November 27th to December 4th. One of those log in all of your accounts type things and you get prizes for Alpha and Omega. Just warning you so you don't miss out on that. But there's also stuff coming December 10th. Let's talk about that. Uh, let's see. Kicking Over Castles is the next Talos release. On um, It's funny how we have now uh, Eve releases and Talos releases. It cracks me up. I kind of like it, actually. But the Team Talos group kicking over castles means they're going to take away the option to set day of the week on your defensive settings for your upwell structures. That means you still get to pick what time it comes out of reinforcement, uh, but uh, it does mean that you can't pick what day. So uh, people who, who think, oh, I want to hit your stuff, I want a nice timer on the weekend can at least, you know, plan ahead and come by and, and uh, make timers, you know, towards the end of the week to get you set up for the weekend. Yeah. That was a really good mechanic that, um, Paulus has had, which is, you know, the thing right before, uh, uh, well structures is that you could, uh, you could say, Hey, I want to create like a deluge of timers for you guys. And I want them to be when I want them, not when you want them to be, 
so you can you know strategically do two timers that come out in the same system or in different systems at the same exact time. So you have to choose between them. Um, I know a lot of people have been kind of clamoring for a mechanic like that. They also liked uh, the aspect of player on star bases where you could you know kite the timer if you had uh, control of the grid. So uh, you know if you stayed on the grid for like 12 hours, you could set the timer to be uh, directly into your time zone if you wanted to be. But it required like a massive uh, upfront cost. So this is going to be a, a neat thing, a neat iteration on it. Hopefully it's it's not something that they uh, just say, oh, that that's it. Uh, we, we fixed it. Job done. Citadels are fine. But it's a move in the right direction, right? Structure and defender bonuses have been like, defense, you know, on the defense, the bonuses have been way too strong for way too long. And uh, hopefully this is the start of moving that back in the other direction. CCP Rise also tweeted, tweeted something a little bit cryptic. Um, he said, on Kicking Castles, we're close to a low power solution as well, but decided to hold off a bit longer for something slightly more elegant. Uh, more on it soon. So that does imply like they know that the, the low power issue is a thing. Um, and CCB Rise did mention in his presentation at eVegas, which was uh, probably the best EVE Online presentation I've ever seen. You should go watch it. Um, he did mention that like, hey, there are some technical limitations to why we can't do cool stuff um, when a Citadel goes into low power. Uh, so this uh, shows that they're still working on it. They've got a plan. It's uh, more elegant and less like slapped together, so that should be good. Uh, so low power Citadel should be less useful in the future. Nice. Um, another change coming in this uh, patch is uh, no upwell structures, no medium upwell structures can be anchored uh, in hostile space if the ADM, the activity defense modifier, is above four. What, um, let me ex let's explain this and break it down for the new folks for a bit. If you have sovereignty in NullSec and you've been living in your space and raising this activity defense modifier through mining and ratting and uh, whatever, I think it was the only two that count. Um, once it gets to four, hostiles can still come in and online a structure in your space, but they have to use a more expensive structure and get more uh, skin in the game. Uh, they can't do an Astrohus or a Tatara, uh, or no, not Tatara, Astrohus, Raitaru, or Athenor, the three cheapest medium-sized structures. And those things cost the same as like two or three battleship hulls. So they're uh, really, really cheap to, to get in on. And, uh, you know, who cares what happens to them? You throw them down and, and see what happens. On the other hand, if you live in a region that has NPC space, uh, uh, computer-controlled space in the middle of it, there are no ADMs in that. You don't actually hold sovereignty there. So Delve or Fountain, it wouldn't matter because you got you got space you could put anything in. But for a place that doesn't have any NPC space nearby, like maybe Malpace, this is this is kind of a nice little buff. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, interesting. I think this is actually for smaller groups, a much bigger deal because previously it was very, very difficult unless you had total time zone coverage to stop smaller structures. I mean, you don't even get a notification if you hold sovereignty on uh, upwell structure anchoring. You do for pauses, but not for uh, upwell. Um, it's that. Exactly. So they, you know, now it's going to be much easier for smaller groups to keep smaller harassing structures to be anchored. But at the same time, I know 
you know, we and some other groups we've been involved with have, you know, thrown down medium structures against much larger groups in their important systems and have used that to generate content. So a little bit, you know, one way, a little bit the other in terms of uh, that balance. I will miss Cone and or Confederation of Conifers informing us that they've warped yet another darkness super off of their staging Keepstar. Oh, rest in peace. Now, how how does warping them off their Keepstar affected by this ADM upwell medium upwell structure thing? Yeah, so I can explain that a little bit. So uh, Cone wasn't the only group that did this. A couple other groups did this as well. And it works really well against big opponents that are in different time zones. So what they would do is they would go and anchor a medium structure uh, directly in line with the undock from an enemy staging Keepstar. And so the enemy couldn't really kill the structure because it wasn't in their main time zone. And so what they would do is they would have someone just sit by the structure and anytime a super undocked, they try and invite them to fleet. If they accepted, they would fleet warp them off of the Keepstar onto the Astrohoos generally. And from there, you have the anti-cap weapons from the structure, plus it's bubbled on an enemy structure, and it's very easy to kill that super or capital or whatever it is. Couldn't you do the same thing without a medium structure behind you? You could, but generally speaking, most of those capitals, if you look at either what Test was doing in Deterid or what Cone was doing, up in Declan, most of the damage was coming from the structure because it was a lot easier to just have someone gunning the structure with anti-gap weapons than it was to try and both just hold a, uh, hold an enemy super bubbled in kind of dead space where they can just start warping the blob over and saving it. It's very easy to keep something bubbled when your dictors can start in tether. They can, they'll just have to sell some of that super loot and invest in some Fortazars so they can do the fleet warping to a fort. Just to give you some context, a anti-capital fit, uh, even just an Astra house, does so easily a dread and a half worth of damage and is indestructible for all intents and purposes uh, You know, in the scale of that kind of engagement. So having that on field is a huge force multiplier You know, in addition to all the E-War it can bring. So it makes it a lot easier and makes it much harder for them to counter drop caps or even faxes to get in there and save their uh, supers. Okay, and there was a third thing that I'm going to need a little help with on this kicking over castles patch December 10th. And that is the restrictions on tethering in a faction warfare system. Can someone explain this? Is it everyone can't tether or is it just that if you're not on the winning side in control, how does this work? Uh, that's a good question, actually. I was—I uh, just saw that they made a faction warfare change. I was like, oh, sweet, nice, good job. Faction warfare guys got something. Um, I know Brisk mentioned that it was a good start, but not enough uh, from the people that he was talking to. Um, so I know it has something to do with free port upwell structures set up in faction warfare systems so that anyone can tether on it. And it was some unfair advantage. The way it works right now is... Uh, if you are in faction warfare, let's say you're in a more faction warfare um, and the Minmatar win that system, then you can no longer dock in that system if you're a Mar. Uh, the way people got around that, obviously, that's a huge implication. It's not being able to dock to get your things, uh, not being able to run missions, et cetera, et cetera. The way people got around this is just by dropping upwell structures. So, yeah, the Minmatar lost the system, but who cares? You're not based out of uh, the station there, so you don't need to worry about docking. You just can 
uh, go into the uh, this upwell structure here and there, and then blah, 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 you're, you're, you're good to go. Uh, so what I imagine they've done is they've extended the docking thing to uh, upwell structures that are in the, uh, in the war zone as well. So maybe if you've got an Amar uh, upwell structure in a Minmatar controlled space, it's going to be a little bit harder to, to go on. But that's one of the things I'm not 100% uh, clear on. I just saw the, uh, the little bullet and I was like, oh, that's great. And then I saw the next one, which was like Hypernet Relay coming. And I was like, whoa, what's this? Uh, and so I got uh, sidetracked predictably. I really hope they get this right in terms of removing the tethering. I mean, uh, some people may disagree with me. This is a hill I will die on, is that citadels are absolutely what killed back warfare and brought it into the you know state that it is today not having battle lines not having the ability to control particular systems and who can realistically be there and dock there did so much to hurt fact warfare so much to remove the battle lines that tended to concentrate players and create meaningful objectives for them to fight over when i saw citadels come out and that they were going to be in fact warfare without limitations like that i, I could not believe that ccp just was going to assassinate a whole play style like that. Yeah, and CSB Rise uh, did mention that, like, hey, this is something we're aware of. We know that faction warfare is a big thing, um, especially for newer people, especially getting into PvP. Um, but it's just, they always said, oh, we'll, we'll do a bigger, more comprehensive update next. And then it always got pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it looks like um, it's restricting tethering uh, for hostiles on uh, Citadel's uh, in in low set in faction warfare warfare zones, uh, not docking, just tethering. So, you don't know anything about a free market release, do you? I do not. No. Like I said, I was uh, as they were going through the things. They had a hypernet relay uh, as one of their like coming soon's, and I had no idea what that meant. And then I was like, oh, maybe I just missed something. But luckily, no one else had any idea what it meant either. So I'm not the only one. It's one of their like little surprise. Uh, releases that is coming soon. Well, they also mentioned that there is a surprise coming two days later, get this, on December 12th, that it's also coming from Team Talos, and they wouldn't tell us what it was. Which, uh, you know, I'm like, um, their release cadence is very unusual right now, unpredictable. And then there was one more big, big, big thing. And this was actually a policy change. And it's effective immediately, as far as I know. I think it's a, it happens next month. It goes into effect next month from what oh. I understand. Okay. So as of next month, which is not very far from now, we, we have um, a huge policy change that CCP employees can now play EVE Online with a lot more freedom than before. So we should give some context of the before. Um, I used to be a CCP employee years ago, and what they briefed me on, first of all, it started with, do you have any characters in the game now? Give us a list of all of them. Yes. Okay. And I gave them the list of all my characters. Okay. And they banned them all. <laughs> and they said, we're going we're going to take these away from you for six months. After six months, we'll unlock them unless they're famous or super powerful or rich or something. Uh, but if they're, but these, none of your guys are, so we're just going to, um, we'll give them back to you in six months. We do this because, not because we don't want you to play the game, but for two reasons. We want you to um, have your stronger emotional ties and loyalty be to the company, not to your characters and game or your corp. And two is because we want you to start again with a new player experience and get again 
the feeling of what new players must go through when they play the game, because we want you to have to be thinking about that as you as you work here. So they said, that was the first thing. Second thing they said was, um, okay, here here are some you know make some accounts, give it to us, and we'll mark them as free play, so you don't have to pay to play, and we'll give you four accounts. I think it might be five today or something, but it was four accounts when I worked there. And they said you can't do you can't do anything griefing related. So no scamming, no um, no camping someone and killing them over and over again, no um, no cheating or lying or something like that, no espionage gameplay, no um, nothing, you know, no Jita scams, uh, no don't steal from your corp. Uh, don't steal from another player. Don't trick them. Don't do anything like that. Nothing that would make a new player want to quit the game. And then they said, um, uh, don't, no, no positions of authority and don't, um, don't amass too much of something that would affect the marketplace. A couple things like that. And I had a guy that was working for me who had an amazing collection of Plex. He was one of the top 10 uh, owners of Plex in the game at the time he joined CCP. And they, they never gave him back his character until he left the company. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, his, his couldn't unlock. He was brilliant at that stuff. Brilliant. He gave me, you know, whenever I needed a market expert advice on things, I would turn to him and he, he knew it all great. Anyway, so now they're making a change. And this new change is you can, oh, and also if they found out anybody, if anyone found out you were a dev, you had to go immediately to the security team and tell them, and they would look at a case-by-case basis. In, in my case, I had a little corp of people that I was playing EVE with that I had been playing World of Warcraft with years before, and we'd known each other for so many years. There was no way to disguise my voice, and they were nobodies. So uh, the security team just said, yeah, go ahead, play with those. Those guys won't make any difference. Tell them not to say anything. And, and you know, a 10-man friends, friends and family know each other corp is not meaningful. But if anyone finds out an Imperium or something in those days, CFC, yeah, no, we're going to take your account away from you. Okay. So uh, you'll have to start again. So... Now they're saying you can you can play more or less openly. You don't have to if you don't have to destroy your character if they figure it out. If they see your Icelandic IP address, it's okay. Um, but you can't help your corp with any of your abilities uh, or any of your knowledge. You can't um, well, you can't grief. You can't do any of the mean stuff still. What else did they say? Uh, no leadership positions, so you can't be like uh, running an alliance. Um, it's not that fun. Like that. Yeah, exactly. But this is like the big, I, I'd say it's probably the biggest like institutional change that CCP has uh, adopted. And this is something that I, uh, it's people have been asking for it for a long time, both within the company and without. Uh, CSM 6 and 7, I, I can say with certainty, uh, had this as one of their priorities to let the, the people play. 
Um, but for whatever reason, it just couldn't get off the ground. Uh, still, people, uh, they were worried. Uh, and at the time, it was like the incarnate era. So uh, people weren't exactly uh, high on CCP at the time. So why do you want to submit your, your devs to getting ridiculed over and over uh, when it wasn't really their fault? Uh, I guess that was the idea. But now the, the dam is finally broke. Uh, so CCPers can play at every level. Um, the the way the reason that they couldn't really play at the high levels before, which includes like capital and super capital stuff and stuff, well, basically high end uh, PvP and uh, world building, uh, is because like obviously the <laughs> Eve players are really worried about spies. So when you go through the the spy checks and everything, when they put you in seat, they'll be like, "Hey, this is an Icelandic IP. You don't sound Icelandic." There's like a hundred Icelandic Eve players. Are you a CCP? And then they'd have to like restart, right? So it'd be it'd be done. So functionally, they couldn't play uh, in null second lances. And now that's finally over. Uh, so you'll be able to see it. Uh, obviously, uh, one other stipulation: it's optional, so it's not mandatory. Some CCPers, uh, well, I'm sure, want to stay private. Um, some will come out and say, "Hey, I'm here. I'm, I'm joining Test." Or, "Hey, I'm here. I'm joining Goons." "Hey, I'm here. I'm in Volta." At one point in my dev career, I played more or less openly like that. And that was Age of Conan. Um, unfortunately, it was a horrible idea because within about two months, every time I logged into the game to play, I would be I would get all these messages saying, my friend got banned. Can you help unlock him? And, my, you know, I can't log into my account. And... Um, I was doing something and all my gold disappeared or, you know, and it would be customer service or it would be suggestions or complaints about the game the whole time. Uh, and I, I couldn't even play the game anymore and have fun. It felt like I was going to work when I logged in. So, you know, if you guys meet a dev in game, please try to, you know, focus on the person playing the game because, you know, strategically we need that. Yeah, the just don't be a dick. <laughs> that's that's basically it. If, you, if you're a dick, they're gonna go back into being in hiding, right? Because they're not forced uh, to out themselves at all, and it will definitely better the game, right? So, um, I remember on one of the earlier CSMs, uh, we were talking about dread fights, and at the time, uh, the game was super buggy, and I don't think a lot of alliances knew this, but. Uh, when I got into a high lag situation where there are a lot of people on grid, the only way that your dread guns uh, would cycle is if you clicked on the icon, like not on your HUD or anything, but underneath the target. That's how you could get the dread gun to finally turn off. Otherwise, you get stuck on forever and ever and ever. And uh, CCP didn't know this because, like, how could you if you don't do that? So we, because it didn't work with that way for turrets, it was explicitly for dread guns. So we brought in a video. And in the next patch, it was fixed, like just like that. So it's it's amazing um, the things that these guys, if they stumble on, that they'll just naturally fix. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that. This is a huge, huge positive change. Uh, hopefully, people will take it in stride and not be total dicks. One edge case I'm a little bit concerned about is they say they don't want them to have uh, positions of authority. But if I get one in the Bastion, I I would be sorely tempted to put an alt in the um, asset holding corporation and give them director roles so they can see the interface that I have to deal with to manage you know my space empire. 
because it's not, I, I know how the, you know, when the dev is sitting at his desk writing that functionality and then quickly testing it, he's not putting in hundreds of structures and, you know, thousands of players in the list. And, you know, he, they're not testing it at the kind of scale we live with. So I'd love for them to see that. Maybe the maybe we'll iterate on it and we'll be able to to let them hit the corp interface that takes like four years to load. All right. Do uh, do any of our guests have any thoughts about the about uh, the Eve London news? Well, I mean, the CCP playing again is huge. Uh, you know, it's hard to be passionate about a game if you can't play. Uh, there does obviously always need to be a balance between being really involved in a game personally and having personal stakes and, you know, knowing what the day-to-day experience is and being able to like look back at it from a, you know, high level 30,000 foot perspective in terms of game design, but not having, you know, them involved in the game itself, I think has been a detriment. And I, I think especially uh, Elise said, you know, some of the interface stuff, I'm sure now that they're working on that and uh, dealing with it personally, trying to get stuff done sometimes quickly under stress, uh, they'll they'll maybe smooth out some of those rough edges. Though that has come a long way over the last couple of years. So, yeah, most of the changes I've seen have been overwhelmingly kind of on the good side of things. One very interesting thing to watch with the rapid fire update and medium auto cannons is that for a long time, medium auto cannons were so bad that many ships just refused to use them. The only ships that did use them were the Cinnable and the Slepnir for the most part because they had very very strong bonuses. So if medium autocannons do get tuned to the point where the average autocannon ship can actually use them pretty effectively, you might see some eventual retuning of the Cinnable or Slepnir or additional iterations on ships just because those ships are the only ones where they currently work. So they might become way too strong with them if medium autocannons are buffed to a pretty reasonable level. Yeah, my hot take is that Vagabonds are going to become impressively popular <laughs> in the next like uh, two months. I think people are going to look at the Vagabond and be like, hey, this ship's actually good. Shit, let's go for it. Um, yeah, we've been thinking about the Vaga a lot, but until we know the changes, man, if they get a little bit more projection or maybe some more tracking, I don't know. They're going to be spicy. Uh, but you know what? Cinnaballs, man. Especially after the warp speed changes, Cinnaballs, if ACs are better, holy crap, like for small gang ships. Yeah, Cinnaballs are going to be ridiculously good if they can project out to 30, 35, 40 with autocannons. And this is something that the CCP will be able to experience firsthand, right? So they'll get swarmed by Cinnaballs and maybe nerf. <laughs> the nerf cycle will happen in, in months and not years. Nice. All right, let's move on to some other in-game news from the player side for a moment. Um, in the in the system of Marto, there was a, a big brawl. Uh, Maestro, can we trouble you for the battle report slide on that? Apparent, do you know anything about that? Who knows about this? Pen is out, Gal Mill Alliances versus Templus Calcif, Wrecking Crew, and Federation Uprising. Over two Templus Calcif structures in the Black Region or Black Rise. Uh, I'm trying to remember this system that it's over, but it's kind of like a, a continuation, uh, thematic con- continuation from what happened uh, two weeks ago in Heck, right? So in Heck, uh, which is obviously high sec, not low sec, but a bunch of people came together and uh, clashed over some structures uh, from more targets, 
and like over 100 billion damages was done. And so the the FW guys are like, hey, you know what? We can we can have fun too. Uh, and so they've been reinforcing. Uh, there's been like some back and forth reinforcing going on over uh, structures, and I guess it just all came to a head. I'm very excited for low sec brawls like this in the future. Um, if anybody doesn't know, uh, snuffed out a very large player in that area recently um, disbanded, and that opens up a lot of space for uh, you know smaller scale engagements that I guess scale up to be pretty big engagements to start and uh you know grow in conflict without worrying about the uh the boogeyman coming and interjecting themselves for content so i think we're going to see a lot of action in this space yeah that's a, a really a really valid point right so now that uh snuff which was like the oppressive low set guy isn't there to stop fights uh or at least act as the the saber rattling right because a lot of the low sec meta especially in that area of space was hey whoever bat phone snuff first wins or if Snuff sees you, uh, you can't really use capitals because they'll just come and kill the capitals. Who cares what side they're on? Uh, but now that Snuff are kind of uh, no more and spread to the uh, four corners of the universe, uh, it opens up some space. There's this huge power vacuum uh, for groups like these guys to come in and, and throw their might around without having to worry about the big dogs coming in and uh, stomping whatever happens. Yeah, and it is always sad to see... Uh you know, old storied group like that, you know, the guys like Tao and, you know, Hai are obviously, you know, incredible content creators over the years, you know, however much Gur and Blurf there may be outside of it. But uh, yeah, definitely a forest fire like this allows new stuff to grow. So the, uh, the battle report might be a little off uh, in terms of who was on what side, but it's, you know, 93 billion is lost compared to 35 billion is lost. That's a big, that's a big fight. And then next, also Melsec related, and possibly also Snuffbox related, Dirt and Glitter is is telling us they're disbanding. Uh, Elise, yeah, Dirt and Glitter, uh, they've been uh, one of my favorite little groups to to fly around with, or at least uh, bump into. Uh, they've been predominantly through their their lives. They've been uh, Amar FW Corp. Um, and they've been kind of like a, a big leader in the MRFW scene. They'd lead, uh, they'd lead fleets, like uh, daily and uh, weekly fleets that everyone in the Warzone was invited to. Uh, they joined uh, Tappy for a little while. They joined Black Legion for a little while. Um, but eventually they, they settled back down into their, their humble homes in Amar Losek, where they, I think they lived in Huala and they just owned for, they just had fun. You know, that was, they were just a group of dudes. Uh, that liked Kesha instead of Taylor Swift, so obviously we're at odds a little bit. Um, but uh, they like to have fun, and, and they announced uh, yesterday evening slash this morning that yeah, there's no one that wants to to take over the corp, so they're just shutting it down. And um, I know that a lot of the the people on Reddit that don't really know Dirt and Glitter at all, they're like, oh, why would you just shut down the corp? You know, just give it to someone else. There's so much history, and people in the corp, they just they weren't up to it. They didn't want it to go. They said, hey, I'd rather it go out on our own terms um, and we can join friends in, in other groups and, uh, you know, let, let D&G die for now. But uh, they were really a really fun-loving group uh, that did all sorts of things. And uh, it'll, it'll be sad that the, their little banner is no longer flying in space. All right. An- another uh, uh, player act, uh, news item this week. A very rare ship died in a class two wormhole actually same class two wormhole where we lost uh, the whip tail 
Um, we lost a virtuoso class stealth bomber. So this is an Alliance Tournament prize ship. Very, oh, can we, uh, Maestro, can you put the Z Killboard link up for us? Thank you. Brilliant. It's like magic. So what do we know about this? Uh, I'm told he died to the famous uh, black ops hunter, Frederick von Hohl, and the uh, uh, famed Russian PVP streamer, Lucy Liu. Well, uh, yeah, that's, if, you, <laughs> that's if, you, if you fly an AT ship these days and you want to keep it for very long, you got to research uh, Mr. Frederick and Lucy and keep appraised of what they're up to and how they operate. I mean, Faith's a very good pilot. And, uh, you know, just, you know, I sometimes maybe anybody else have nightmares about being in some incredibly expensive asset and accidentally like hitting undock and coming back to your computer just to make sure you're still in station. I have that sometimes. Uh, every time, every time I die in an expensive ship like that, I tab over just when I noticed that I forgot to hit dock, or as I like to say, the game forgot I hit dock, because I, I, I obviously don't make mistakes, right? Yeah, just to explain it a little better. Um, so the story is that he had been hunting, uh, exploring wormhole chains on another character, and somehow it accidentally just hit Undock on his Virtuoso. And I think it was on a Keepstar, too. So it must have taken forever to boat out of Undock. And I guess he was just unlucky enough to have the wrong hunters in his hole at the wrong time. And there you go. You know, those ships are, the AT frigates can be very powerful, but not when they're just sitting there and not when a couple of Lokis are shooting at it. So... Yeah, and as you mentioned, Faith Heaven God is a, a super good pilot. Um, so he's probably probably kicking himself a little bit right now. But there are some funny similarities, as uh, Carneros was mentioning. Uh, one of the last AT ships to die in a wormhole was also in this same wormhole. Cursed. Yeah. Cursed. Yeah, you guys. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I'd actually been flying around in, uh, in Imp uh, earlier this month, and the bomber that was used on that uh, kill you know, we weren't sure who it was. And I'm like, man, was that Lucy making a pass at me? And seeing it here, it's like, oh, you just feel the the chill. Yeah. So uh, there is like a, there's quite a big group of people that hunt these AT ships. And uh, I know when Rocket, uh, Rocket X was doing it uh, actively, uh, the amount of efforts and work that went into just trying to nab one is absolutely absurd. Um, just completely nuts uh, in terms of uh, effort put down. So I can only imagine these guys stumbled upon this guy slowboarding out, and the thoughts you got to be like, is this is this bait? And you see the ships they took, <laughs> they basically just volleyed it. Like two of the dudes volleyed it. Uh, they didn't even need the the third guy to to hit. So even if it was bait, they weren't baiting. They weren't uh, giving up too much. Another uh, another news item. We we talked about it a little bit last week during the show. Because in the second half of this show live, um, we had a uh, a guest, Killa B, uh, from NC uh, Northern Coalition Dot, who said, um, "Oh look, the initiative is deploying, and oh look, you know we can see where they're going," and they ended up going to Branch, to the station of Five Tech P One Y Two. So if you're if you never go to Nullsec and you and you you know have all just go fit yourself an interceptor, put a cloak on it, fly out there and go see what's happening in the world. You know you can you too can do this. By the way, just make sure you can uh, 
make sure your your fit is maneuverable and you can get around, get through a gate camp. But uh, yeah, go out and check it out. Uh, that's a pretty strategic location I'm seeing, isn't it, Elise? Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty nice. You can get to Venal if you wanted to pretty quickly. You can get to uh, Tinal, uh, which is obviously, I think, where they're going to be spending a lot of their time. Um, and, you know, if you, you need some backup coming in, Declan's not too far away. So uh, it's, a, it's a really nice little area. It gives you quite a bit of areas in Branch and Tinal to, to get into. Uh, they're living in uh, initiative. We'll be basing out of Rager Regiment space. So, you know, don't expect those, uh, those Fortizars to be easy to, to nab down. Ranger regiments are uh, uh, Chinese time zone based. So it'll be even, even with uh, everything, it'll be uh, pretty, pretty difficult to, to knock it down, especially with the people involved. So, yeah, uh, there's been a lot of hubbub about uh, this move and, and what the implications are. Um, and, you know, the implications, uh, they could be huge, right? It could be that. This is the the spearhead of the next big war that's going to head out between the Imperium and Panfam. Uh, theoretically, you could have like this being the tip, uh, fighting over this area and pushing Panfam back uh, into drones, and you can have Legacy coming up from the south, uh, pushing people up uh, and you know cornering Panfam into the corner there. But I think more likely it's just initiative taking advantage of the situation, saying hey. Uh, these guys in Declan uh, are getting kind of beat up now. They're they're getting outnumbered by uh, more and more people moving to the area. Uh, they're making timers for us. And uh, if Sword Dragon and his boys are happy being, I don't want to say meat shields because that has a negative connotation, but if they want to uh, be the big muscle and we can just do whatever we want on timers, then that sounds like a lot of fun. And honestly, in EVE Online, that's probably the most fun you can have uh, in a position of war is being the the guy that doesn't have to make timers, the guy that doesn't have to show up to everything. But when you know there's a big fight going down, uh, you can be the one that turns us tied to battle. So I think that's uh, that's probably what the initiative will be will be doing. Um, they'll also have a lot of fun roaming around in those areas, running into PL and uh, NC dot fleets and horde fleets. Uh, a lot of movement in the venal area right now. There's a lot of groups are settling in the venal, similar to how they did in tribute not too long ago. So it should be should be pretty interesting. And obviously, the branch isn't that far from uh, tribute. So if they want to go and, and mess down with uh, Rokapel and and you guys, that that might be on the table. Oh my God! Please come down, free us from the burdens of Sav ownership. We need we need more people to shoot at. <laughs> Oh, you know, if if the initiative moves a fleet over to tribute, give us some context on tribute. Who are, who are they likely to shoot or not shoot? Or uh, do they they don't have any friends who live there, so they're likely to shoot anyone, right? Whoever has an interesting looking ship. I mean, yeah. Um, initiative leans towards EUTZ, although we fought their USTZ a few times when Snuffed would ask them to come help. Um. If they're in EU, they're probably going to be fighting Trigger Happy, who's getting pretty big. They're on the Western side. Um, a lot of it, though, really depends, and this goes for both Tribute and Vale. Most people or most groups in this area are pretty competent. They know what they can and can't fight. So you do need to be conscious of what kind of fleet you're bringing. If you show up with 45 Macarials and 15 Logi, 
even if you're toasting a staging iHub, we're just going to stare at you and say, okay, have fun walking home because that's not a fight that anybody can take. And so you're wasting everybody's time. But if you want to show up in a fleet that, you know, similar numbers to ours, a similar comp where we can form something, even if we don't have as many people and say, we have a good shot, you will get a fight. Yeah. I mean, we're all, we're all pretty experienced groups down in tribute. So, I mean, we know what the score is at this point, you know, we're not going to get farmed or do anything ridiculously stupid or feed. So, you know, but we do like good hard fights. So bring those, but just don't bring dumb stuff, you know? So it makes a lot of sense for initiative who really like to be uh, a mobile. They they don't like to sit back and and just farm, right? They like to go out and find fights uh, wherever that be, uh, wherever those be located at. And the North right now seems to be the best spot between, uh, Vino, where a whole bunch of groups are moving to, uh, Tino, where there's like some fights going on and, you know, tribute every once in a while. I mean, a, a Pando v. Kendar mashup would be dope. Like that would be fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. Pa- that he's talking about Pandorelica, um, uh, one of the FCs, one of the t- main FCs for the initiative versus Kendar, the main FC and also the CEO or leader of Trigger Happy, uh, a group, um, uh, now, what's the? Can you compare the size of Trigger Happy with the size of the other tribute uh, organizations? So, uh, in terms of actives, honestly, at this point, Trigger Happy is probably pushing about four, three to four times the size of either unspoken or wrote individually. Um, especially if you include Hazardous Company, who are kind of a smaller alliance that's mostly formed out of. Um, Peak higher than Everest, a corp from PL question mark. Um, if you include them as well, then Trigger Happy has gotten quite big, especially since I believe they absorbed a fair number of people from Snuffed Out. Yeah, they're getting to be quite a group to watch. Uh, you know, they're obviously offset from us pretty significantly. They're they're mostly EU and we're mostly late US, so we don't interface that much. But they are getting some good numbers these days. I think it would be a, a good fight if they take it on the right ground. Oh, and uh, the other thing that, that I thought would be the funny about the the Pando v. Kendar. Kendar um, was, uh, you know, a huge FC in the Imperium. Uh, they, he worked with, uh, I'm sure he's crossed paths with Pando as, as Blues before, um, but he, he set out to, to do his own thing uh, with uh, his alliance, Trigger Happy. And I'm hearing, uh, everything I hear about uh, Kendar's group is that uh, they just love to fly with him because he's, he's uh, a great leader. He's probably one of those... Uh, if he it wasn't a household name before this, he should be a household name now. Um, obviously, being a, a strat up FC in the Imperium probably does make you a, a household name. But if you had forgotten about him, uh, he's, he's kind of a, one of those people you should uh, look out for. In the in the Imperium, he took uh, a sort of uh, sleeping uh, older Sig called Space Violence. And he reawakened it and reinvigorated it and led it to a lot of great activity. And, all the, you know, there were there were feeds and wipes and stuff, too, you know, but uh, uh, but, you know, he had he did a lot of great stuff with it. Uh, it became sort of a, a useful and important tool in the Imperium toolbox. And then um, he chose to. Uh, uh, end that and and extract himself and go, you know, on on polite terms and everything and go start his own thing 
so we could have more freedom and be in charge and, and run things, you know, kind of with some more independence than you get from being a SIG in the Imperium, which I understand. Uh, so that's where that's how he became known. At one point in the past, he was in the Bastion, so I know him too. Uh, but let's but let's talk about Snuffbox for a moment. Um, how has the the dissolution of Snuffbox affected Tribute? I think that people are probably a little more comfortable using capitals, although they're still incredibly rare in the vast majority of engagements. Because, again, most groups are pretty competent, so trying to just chuck dreads around isn't a very good solution to most problems. We have fleet comps that can deal with those. Um, but one thing that when they were pushing in a bit to try and get some fights in the area, they did have a tendency to bring a little bit more than any group could really deal with. They would bring a very heavy like nightmare fleet, for example, with fax support. And you knew that you couldn't drop dreads on that fax because it was snuffed. They would put a 40-man dread bomb on your 15, and that would be the end of it. So it became really hard to fight. So a lot of people chose not to fight it. And I think it kind of suppressed content a little bit, particularly in Vale, until Snuffed realized that they weren't getting any fights, and they kind of left and gave up. Snuff mostly tends to or mostly did used to uh, try to get content out of NullSec for the most part versus taking strategic objectives. So they would come through and realize that there was not a good right size fight for them and then kind of bail out. It's sort of interesting. So we had Snuff poking uh, Veil for a while, and that kind of suppressed activity there. They uh, shot at some Effie and reverb structures. I, I can't remember which one specifically. I believe it was the staging fort in TVN. Yeah. So that happened, and then Snuff left and you know, obviously disbanded. But now, actually, we have some of, uh, more recently, we had some stuff from PL and uh, Black Legion coming in. And they're now making some poking, uh, they're, they're making some inroads into uh, Tribute and trying to get some content out of us and Bail. And that is actually having similar kind of effects. So the, uh, you know, snuff specter of them has been removed, but there's always somebody, you know, new coming in. So, yeah, it was kind of funny because the first time I believe PL showed up, they basically kind of did a kind of snuff desk maneuver of a single fax was on field and they put supers on it. At which point, most groups decided, okay, well, if you're just going to drop supers on us whenever we do, we're not going to fight you for a while. And so that kind of resets the timer of like, you have to come a couple times and prove that you're coming in subcaps or something engageable before people are going to say, all right, I, I'll actually try and take this fight. I was very surprised by that. The FC for that, I believe, was Muck Barovian. And, you know, he's a good FC, and it just it felt bad to have them immediately go to the, oh, let's just drop a bunch of supers on it solution rather than you know actual fleet strategy. So uh, I can talk about that more later. Muck is uh, the number one uh, killer all time. Actually, for uh, at least uh, that's what uh, was in CCB Larrikin's presentation. And yeah, he is a, he is a, a pretty great FC. So uh, it is an, an interesting turn. I wasn't there, so I don't know what, what happened. But, you know, sometimes people, they, they just uh, strategically, if they think you're going to run, they're just going to say, hey, let me get as many kills as I can while you're running. So uh, that, that might be it. But uh, you do bring a, a pretty good point with like how to uh, to deal with the ebb and flow of that, right? So if they do do that, then you just don't fight them. And then they have to uh, mind-numbingly reinforce structures or mind-numbingly do other stuff. 
until they can get to the point where they can take a, a fight again. So it's a pretty good way of dealing with uh, the blob. Yeah, I guess I can talk about that fight specifically. So it was a jump bridge that was reinforced. Actually, we had two that night, and PL came in Macarials, and we had Ravens with fact support. And, you know, they had a decent number of Max, and it was just a good back and forth. But, you know, as soon as a fight started on an Astrogrid and our, uh, you know, fax was there, and even though the fight was still going pretty well, you know, supers were brought in, we actually ended up winning both the objective and the Iskwar on that fight. Because our response to the supers coming in was just to undock a bunch of hicks and just go bubble the crap out of them. So even though our faxes went down, they were forced to pull their fleet back way out of position to clear tackle on the supers. And, you know, we just, you know, took our took our toll on uh, Max and, you know, trading Max versus Ravens is not not a great thing to do for very long. Oh, so you guys cheated. You, you, took, uh, <laughs> you took capitals. <laughs> That's cheating. Two, two. Come on. We can't use two faxes versus PL. My God. <laughs> uh, it's cheating. It's cheating. Yeah. I mean, Unspoken Alliance has a almost ridiculous amount of experience dealing with much larger groups and knowing how to fight them. So it's really kind of nothing new on that front in terms of groups trying to come in and either blow up a structure or get a fight or just be annoying. It's par for the course. I can imagine with uh, the waves that you guys have been making in tribute ever since, uh, you know, the that big vacuum was in there that people have been kind of uh, coming in wanting a piece, right? So the, there's the this storyline that tributes this really fun place for, especially for veterans to, to you know, do small gang, medium gang type of thing. Um, so I'm sure you guys get a lot of unwanted visitors, not necessarily in the form of like the PLs of the world, but uh, just with small groups that live close by. Is that uh, something that you guys get a lot? Like, do you get like roaming gangs in your space? Absolutely. So do we want to like set the context? Because I know we were talking about tribute in general and stuff. So do we want to give like some context for that first and then kind of like go into that? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Go, go with that. Yes. Do you want me to take it away, David? Yeah, sure. Yes. I mean, right now, tribute is set up. So you have Road Capel runs a constellation. Uh, over by the MTECO gate, so that's right next to Losec. And Tribute is a region that is eight jumps from Jita. Like, if you need a new ship, it's a 10-minute walk at most. So it's really easy for people to roam up to Tribute, and a lot of people tend to do so. And so Tribute's a pretty great place if, like you said, you're experienced and you want to kind of roam or come up or bring a small fleet, there's almost always a good fight to be had. Um, and that's probably the biggest difference between Tribute and Veil. Right now, most of the content in Veil is around timers, which personally, that's like small fights over timers is my favorite form of content. But Tribute is really a lot of these kind of roaming groups coming through. And Unspoken, Trigger Happy, Rokapel, we will all look for these groups and try and undock basically as fast as we can to try and fight them before they move on. The one thing that was key from your point earlier is that it tends to be experienced pilots who get the most out of this. Rote Capel, they describe themselves as aggressively mediocre, but they're good nano, they're good small gang pilots. Unspoken like to consider ourselves somewhat of the same, and Trigger Happy is no slouch either. They've got a lot of very good pilots. So if you want to bring, you know, five new bros and Merlins, you're probably going to have a rough time. But for those midsize or small gangs where you have people who generally know what you're doing, you're going to get a good fight, and it's going to be a tough fight. That is really cool. Uh, tribute is like my my favorite little um, 
just my favorite ale. I don't want to make it seem like I'm poo-pooing you guys by saying little, but it's my favorite little area to uh, keep an eye on because there's always nonstop something uh, that looks like it's fun that happened there. Like no, no matter what time of day, no matter what structures are going down, uh, I keep an eye on the, the tribute kill boards and I see like, oh, look, there's a skirmish over here. Like, oh, look, there's a skirmish over there. And it doesn't ever seem to be like horribly lopsided. Right? So it's never like a, a hundred to one type <laughs> engagement. It's always like a 60-40 or at worst like a 70-30 type thing. Yeah, it's been a tremendously good content arena. I mean, I guess I'll just go into, you know, Rocapel and how we got into the area, if that's okay with you, Carneros. Yep. Um, okay, so I guess to give you a little background, uh, Road Capel, you know, we're a, a pretty old alliance. I think we we're founded in 2008, and uh, you know, we've always been very uh, small fleet, small gang, roaming focused. Uh, traditionally, we lived out of um, Syndicate until about halfway through our history, and then we started being more nomadic and roaming around. We've had a couple of forays into Sov, uh, most prominently down in uh, the independent version of the QFC uh, down in Quarius. And we ran something kind of experimentally there with a couple of other groups, uh, like Brave Affirmative, that kind of thing, for a little while. And then spent a little bit more time in Losec. And then after the goon glassing of tribute and all that you know, infrastructure in the area, that is a really well-situated region. You know, It's a gateway. If anybody wants to go north from Jita, it's very close by. The jump ranges are incredibly good to the area. And it was entirely unoccupied. So we had a couple of dudes who were like, hey, we want to set some timers. We want to you know, take some sob. And we had some discussions and leadership and said, you know, let's make a, another go of it. Uh, you know, we've spent a lot of time over the years experimenting with how small groups can hold and operate SOV in SOV independently. And, uh, you know, it's a really, you know, we think we've uh, landed on a good model for the area right now. Yeah, it definitely does seem, uh, definitely does seem that way. And yeah. Uh, Road is one of those kind of old story names that you, you've seen floating around for quite a long time. I remember them from the uh, from the Scrap Heap Challenge days when they were like a, <laughs> a huge group back then. They lived a lot of the time. They lived in uh, Syndicate. That's where I, I kind of always remember running into to Road dudes was in Syndicate. Uh, yeah, that so that period was defined by uh, you know Cassius Longinus and his very regular, incredibly excellent fleets. Uh, great FC. Uh, he's since moved on, and you know we've we've kind of become more nomadic since then. Though nowadays we we go where the content is, and that's good, right? Because that's a, one of the play styles that um, people have been saying is is lacking in Eve Online right now is the the nomadic dudes not necessarily wanting to be part of a, a larger coalition or a larger alliances. They just kind of go where the fights are. Um, they're not necessarily tied down to to the land, but they do have the land, right? Yeah, I mean, statistically, this is the best year Road Capella's ever had. So, you know, Fantastic. people say that Eve is dead and Small Gang is dead and Small Scale is dead. I mean, to that I say, you know, get in a fleet of 10, 15 guys, you know, hammer out how to, you know, come up with effective doctrines and practice and you'll get content. You'll you'll be able to go and get it. So, yeah. I'm mind if I pop in with a little uh, overview of Unspoken, though? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, let's get a little bit more info about the entire. Yeah. Tell yeah, us about yeah. the history of Unspoken, Marie. Oh, you know I joined six months ago. <laughs> I don't know anything. Um, so from what I've picked up, Unspoken's about three years old, I believe. Uh, they started out in Great Wildlands, a region that, to the best of my knowledge, is dead and has been dead for a long time. Um, 
after that, they moved into Ethereum Reach, which is where they started to kind of become a little more known. They took part in the big war against XIX, the DRF, the DCU, and they ended up being kind of the frontline group for fighting in Ethereum Reach, taking out a bunch of DCU kind of smaller alliances and ending up fighting Prothean for a very long time there. Uh, then they were just kind of living in ER for a while until they got evicted by the uh, PanFam super block after those supers were called in due to some minor diplomatic misunderstandings like blowing up a renter Satio and burning all their iHubs. Um, after that, and this is about when I joined, they initially we initially went and tried to take some Sob and Cash, which is a pretty cool region, uh, before eventually kind of being pushed off again by PanFam and Fraternity kind of at the same time. And then Rote said, hey, we're having fun in Tribute. So we packed up the bus and moved over there, and we've been fighting in Tribute ever since. It's been a pretty good time. So you already knew you already knew Rote Capel before you moved to Tribute? You were friends with those guys? Yeah, I mean, we, we'd, op- I mean, I, maybe I can speak to this a little bit better. Um, you know, we've been operating, uh, you know, they were producing some great, like, medium-sized content over in the drone regions for a long time. You know, there's a lot of really good FCs over in Unspoken. So, you know, we've known them for a while. There's some, you know, extra people there. And going over and uh, participating that, we built a pretty strong relationship. And once they left that region and were looking for a new home, it seemed, uh, you know, pretty, pretty natural. We're very complementary groups in a lot of ways. Well, what's your, what are your relationships like with Trigger Happy? We're neighbors. You're neighbors, but not politically friendly. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is really predicated on the fact that we're in different time zones. So like, even if either one of us really wanted to fight the other or work with the other, there isn't a whole lot of opportunity to do so. Um, like I couldn't kill their sob if I wanted to, and they couldn't re- like they couldn't kill our staging fort if they wanted to in the current state of affairs. So there's not really a reason for us to fight, and generally speaking, we're not awake at the same time. So we end up fighting when we can or at very specific opportunities. But other than that, we actually don't interact a whole lot. It's mostly skirmishing between our small, you know, off hours guys. So that's that's what tends to happen. You know, we're we're not you know, we don't, we don't hate them. We're not super cordial. You know, we don't have a lot of concrete agreements. So we're just kind of like, we're both there together doing our own thing, enjoying the content. Neighbors with benefits. Oh, that sounds like. Yes. There you go. We share a jump bridge, I think for, uh, uh, just making commute through the region, uh, work a little bit better. All right. And are you, are you two, are, I'm sorry, are Rote Capel and Unspoken Alliance blue to each other? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We are, if you look at our fleets on Z-Kill, it is very rare for a fleet from one of us to not have at least a couple members of the other. But a lot of that is a factor if we're both pretty small. So if we want to do something like go up to Cobalt Edge and throw down with 40, 50 dudes, it's it's nice to be able to fleet up and get a little bit of a smaller, a bigger block. And do you guys use uh, wormholes to travel around or you just go, you just gate it? You just like hoof it through the gates? Tribute's great. All the structure timers are like eight to 10 jumps away at most in Vale. Cobalt Edge is literally 14 jumps from one of our staging forts. Like, uh, it's easy. 
It is. But I mean, Thera is the best thing that ever happened to the game, as far as I'm concerned, from a small gang roaming perspective. Uh, everybody, you know, make a Thera scanning alt. Man, uh, who's that group that Eve Scout? Man, donate to them. They do they do God's work. But yeah, if we want to roam too, it's it's super easy. You know, there's always a Thera hold everywhere from within, you know, at most like 10, 5 jumps away from you. If you want to go play, so even though we're in the north, you know, a lot of days we'll hop in frigates and go play Escape from Delve, and that's pretty easy these days. <laughs> Someone asked me if they wanted to roam in a brave space the other day, and I realized it was 44 jumps in a way, and that I was just too lazy to do that. I was like, but I can go 15 jumps and, and do the same thing. It's fantastic. Yeah, true. It is a really nice, uh, for the longest time, um, it's been one of the more sought after uh, areas of space, right? So you've got pure blind right next to it. So if things go real bad, you always have like an NPC station uh, that you can call home. Uh, it's really close to Nelsa at uh, Jita, as you said, right? So like just put up a, a beacon in MTACO and logistics, bam, done, easy peasy. And like you said, it's just all over the place uh, that you can get to. Sometimes I go on Dotlan and look at the people who have owned mo previously and just go why are we here man <laughs> this is too good for us in terms of i mean that, that's the thing too it's like some nights it's like why are we leaving our constellation you know we're we are very roaming focused alliance like most of our content comes from outside of our region but some nights it's just fleets like you know just coming through mo you, you just try to interdict that and you can fight for hours and hours and you know we're we're like at the right scale where it's not just like you know if if a really big block lived there you know and decided they wanted to set up some huge gate camp on the uh, you know in gate from Tazy that would be you know hugely suppressing but you know on our off hours we'll have like you know five ten guys sitting there and just random stuff so if a fleet comes through going north you know we can have really fun fights with that so it's it's a very good area for us we're super happy. That's good, and hopefully you guys can can stay there for the for the long haul. As you mentioned, like if you look at the the, the alliances that have owned MTACO, it's kind of like uh, an all star list. You have Morsis Mihi, which was uh, at the time the the biggest alliance in the game. Uh, Band of Brothers, who then kind of tried to push them out but failed uh, in that time, and then the Northern Coalition, who then took it over eventually from Morsis Mihi. Then Goons took it for a while. Uh, then NC took it back, and then Goons took it back. <laughs> And now you guys have it. They're the best for last, right? Exactly. Nice. I like it. One other thing that is really nice about the region in terms of fights is you can get a lot more creative with doctrines in those smaller fights. If you're talking 150-man hack fleets, your options are munins or eagles or you feed. Um, whereas when you're talking 15 to 20 character fleets, you can do a lot more interesting stuff and you there's a lot more to think of in terms of counters theory crafting is like my wheelhouse of where i shine as an fc everything else a little mediocre probably and so when we run into a problem like hey a group we're fighting is using these really expensive lokis that are actually pretty hard to deal with uneven numbers i can sit down and Futs through Pypha, and then we come out on the other side with sacrileges, and then we realize the sacrileges are both pretty fun and actually not that bad. And we've been using—we're like the only alliance in the game that's currently using sacrileges as a doctrine in any form, because everyone else has no use for them. Yeah, I think the the sacrileges used by you guys, and then people doing uh, dark abyssal sites, and and that's it. Like there's there's zero other overlap. 
you know, there's a lot more space, you know, at small scale than most people think in terms of innovative fleet comps. Um, you know, we're using phantasms a lot recently, which have been just incredibly fun. And, uh, you know, there's a lot, a lot of things that people don't traditionally think about there that you can use very, very effectively at different scales. Have you guys uh, dabbled in the Triglavian Menace? Like, have you gone with the, the trig ships? I know a lot of uh, smaller size groups really love the, the trig ships, um, especially when hunts are larger things. So I know Unspoken was one of the first groups to adopt the Lashak back in Ethereum Reach. They used it to very good effect there, although that was a little bit before my time. Um, in terms of small fleets, the Drekovac can be very strong. In nullsec, um, the one thing with it is it's a little slow, and so while it has great tank, and generally speaking, a decent Drekovac fleet is very hard to kill. What we've generally run into when we're fighting Drekovacs is it tends to be more of a stalemate rather than an actual kind of like we get dunked by Drekovacs, where like we can't kill them, but we have enough mobility around grid, we have enough range control that those Drekovacs can't kill us either, and it ends up being kind of a stalemate. So Drekovacs are definitely strong, but outside of that, there's not too many options. Iki Tirsas are not good in a small fleet setting. I'll stand by that. Cool. I, I know some people that are going to fight <laughs> you on that. Well, they're great for killing capitals, but... In terms of an armor doctrine, with the Iki Tursa, you're required to put two tracking computers in the mids. Otherwise, you have no range. And so you can't really play with your mid slots or use utility mids to build yourself an advantage. And if you are going to win a fight with Iki Tursas, it's going to take you 25 minutes because the damage ramp up is very slow and it's very weak, particularly if you're shooting that long range ammo. Yeah, I think when you bring ickies, uh, they're most effectively used in a situation where you're not expecting a response, where you have a big, scary Triglavian fleet. You go in there, you get a super tackled, you get a cap tackled, and you got like 30 ickies on field, and maybe they don't have their main FCs on, maybe it's off hours, and they look at that and they're like, man, this is really spooky. We don't, I mean, people don't still know that much experience with them yet. I don't know what to bring to fight this. Like, this looks like a really expensive, awful fleet don't let's just leave it alone man it's uh let's write off that super before like you know whelping another you know 10 15 billion esque fleet into it i mean i i i love the triglavian ships from a design perspective they are amazing in terms of ships that are very very powerful at small scale but just like dramatically underperform as you scale up like you know a hundred man uh you know hurricane versus dracovac fleet which one is going to win every freaking time you know, even though a Drekovac is on paper a much more powerful ship. Yeah, yeah. That's why I was saying, like, a, a lot of the, the groups, like, 5 to, to 20 people really have been uh, liking these these Drake ships. Oh, yeah, and the, the Kikimura, man, I, I love that thing. It's, it's like, it's a, I don't know if I'm still in the top 10 for them. It's such a, such a good ship in that it, like, serves every small ganger's, like, dream needs. It's fast, has a lot of projection, but it's also balanced by being really, really thin and really expensive, so... You know, people feed a lot of expensive kiki, so it's like got a good balance and performance ratio. Well, I could I could pick you guys' brains all day about theory crafting and, and fun stuff, but we do have to wrap up eventually. So, um... oh yeah, there there was so uh, part of the reason we wanted to come on is uh, you know last Sunday there was a segment that you guys had on tribute and veil. You know, we we enjoyed fighting veil, but we don't think that we 
we're accurately characterized in what like tribute is versus fail. I think we're actually a lot more similar than the implication was and that, you know, talked about us being kind of like blue empire builders, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, you know, uh, it's not very often that we're called blobby either, but you know, that <laughs> is what it is. Uh, you know, I feel like the fights between us have been actually very uh, good in terms of number sized. Uh, you know, in terms of numbers. And, you know, when you're fighting hard against people, which we like to, it's always tough to find the right size in terms of like, are they going to bat phone? Are we going to bat phone? How important is this objective to us versus how is it important to them? That kind of thing. So I, I, I can see where that comes from. But in terms of tribute culture, we're really not doing the whole empire building thing. You know, we, we like to live off the land, as we put it, and take advantage of our, you know, little area and pockets we're in to, you know, make some miss while we're there in our downtime. But, you know, we kind of build the sandcastle from the perspective of, like, this is a paintball arena that if somebody big comes in, we will, like, have a fighting retreat through, you know, and create, you know, interesting territory for that that side of things versus us being, like, you know, blue empire coalition building. You know, we're, we're very, very independent in that regard. And the blues that we do have are, are very complementary in terms of, you know, time zone specialization and that kind of thing. Unspoken tends to be a little bit earlier in the day than us. We are mostly late West Coast uh, USTZ, and uh, we're actually, you know, part of Snuff. We're getting some of our AUTZ uh, component back, so we're really starting to bulk up in that regard, uh, which is good because it like lets us fight the um, Chinese groups that are uh, in the north. But I'm getting a little off topic. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's kind of like a you know we we see the tribute area as a platform for for developing content versus like you know throwing down and like building like a little local coalition or you know regional power block or something like that. Okay, let's um let's start to wind down, and we've got a tradition we do at the end of our show, which is we go around the room and tell them things you might not know about Eve Online. I'll go first. I've got one related to upwell structures, and this is this is aimed at people who have maybe never set up a structure before. You've used them, you've you've tethered on them, you've docked in them, but you've never set one up yourself. And and uh, your the, the time will come when you go to put one on. So I'm going to give you some advice. Two pieces of advice here on this. One of those is. Um, you're going to need, at one point, it's going to ask you for a structure profile. Now, if you can set up the profile before you even undock uh, and uh, before you go out there to go drop your your structure in space, uh, and that's a good idea because you don't want to be sitting out in space trying to online a structure, probably in an industrial ship, you know, maybe at risk of being shot by someone uh, and sit there and try to figure out a new uh, and complex part of the Eve interface. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm suggesting you make it in, in space, uh, make it in station first, and then you can just apply it to the structure as you're onlining it. And then two is if you've, you know, one of the big mistakes people make is they go set it up and point it in the wrong direction. And that has a huge impact on the quality of life of all the users of the station. So I recommend deciding where you want to put it, make a bookmark, decide what direction you want it to point, and then go set it up once on the Singularity test server to get a feeling of how it works and see how it, how it goes. Then, then go and set it up on uh, Tranquility 
so you uh, uh, you know you can you can be a little bit more smooth and answer all the questions uh, and all that. Yeah, that is a, a big thing. Like we've even seen the Imperium take down a Keepstar so they could have it aligned the, the correct way. So that's that's a big deal, right? No one. It might seem OCD to you, but like when you undock and you have to then turn 40 degrees to, to go to the gate or to your uh, jump bridge, and it's really annoying every single time. Uh, my trick is uh, something that I didn't know people didn't know, uh, actually. Uh, I was watching a um, Twitch streamer and a YouTube guy uh, who's actually super great if you're interested in Abyssal sites. He does uh, Abyssal PvP Proving Grounds. His name is Torvald Uruz. Uh, T-O-R-V-A-L-D. You'll see him on Twitch. Yeah. Um, I know yeah. he does. Uh, he's doing YouTube content more, which is where I uh, ran into him. Um, but if you want to, and this is probably only really useful if you're dealing with uh, PVE rather than PVP, uh, but if you want to lock everything quickly in an area, uh, you can control and then left click, and then it'll let you draw a box. Um, and then when you let go, everything within that box will be uh, targeted. Um, obviously, by the, by the way targeting works you'll lock the bigger things first and so the frigates won't get locked but if you're in a rush and you want to, to lock everything um it's uh, that's a good way to do it if uh you're using it in pvp um the best use case is for drones so instead of having to swap out to a drones only overview you just uh zoom in on your ship control click make a box around your ship it'll lock all the drones attacking you right so if you're fighting like um an ishkar an ishtar or a healer or anything like that and you want to quickly lock onto those drones. That's the, uh, that's the best way to do it. And David, go ahead and uh, tell the audience uh, your, your item there. Alrighty. So, um, I mean, another thing about rote, uh, we, we tend to have what we like to call uh, a fitting culture where we spend a lot of time, uh, you know, analyzing our fits, our doctrines, that kind of thing in advance, like a lot of time and aggressively, you know, going over them and arguing about, you know, how to really fine tune them. And, you know, obviously we like to encourage people to go out there and get their, you know, Rome on. And uh, this is a concept I've been working with a lot lately. Uh, it's an Osprey Navy issue, which is really one of the best, uh, most affordable frigates, or uh, sorry, cruisers in the game. I call it a frigate. You'll see why in a second. But uh, this is a great small gang roaming concept. It's very easy to use for newer players. So this is a very accessible fit. There are not a lot of ways to screw it up in terms of piloting. Um, and it's interesting in that it doesn't do a ton of damage, uh, you know, decent, but nothing crazy. And it, uh, has a lot of projection. It's very, very fast. And this is a great ship for new players to bring out on roams. Um, you do need good, uh, power grid skills, but you know, an implant or two, very cheap one will fix that. And, uh, you know, that's the only real, you know, requirement aside from the other tech two stuff. Uh, it's a good ship to use, and it illustrates something that I wanted to point to. Now, you'll notice this has uh, three nanofiber, in, or two nanofiber internal structures, and a medium polycarb. Why does it have that? It seems a waste to use three fitting slots on, you know, agility and speed mods. But a very interesting and underrated thing for roaming ships is that, uh, actually for that picture, it's a better example, is that if the um, prop mod is off, this ship has a sub three second warp and align time, which means that from a complete standstill, uh, if you select something to warp off to, this will leave grid in three seconds. And there is almost nothing in the game, aside from Instacamps, that will be able to catch that. So this is a very adaptable ship in terms of if you're landing on grid, you screw up range or something like that, you know, you can leave very, very quickly. 
and the flexibility in the mids, you can sub that missile guidance computer out for any other kind of e-war. You know, a point, a target painter, whatever your fleet needs, it's very, very flexible. And with the range, you can stay at distance, be safe, and project, you know, a really solid amount of damage. So this is a, a great fit for new players to take. And, uh, you know, pointing to that agility thing, a lot of times, you know, look at your ship, see if you can get past another second or two of warp speed breakpoint with another speed or agility mod. It makes a huge impact on survivability, especially if you're fighting up in difficult engagements. But won't you warp out quickly and leave your Lodgy in the dust? Lodgy? What's that? Okay, never mind. Logistics in a nano gang are, generally speaking, rare, and they, they'll take care of themselves. And they're even more rare after the first time you warp out. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love this fit, though, and it's so cheap. It's 100 mil. Like there's, there's almost nothing else that you can get a stat line in this. It's basically, it warps in at 5 AU a second as fast as a frigate. It's basically just a really, really, really big, really tough assault frigate with like 70 km range in that setup. Nice. Yeah, if you're if you're listening to the podcast and you can't see what we have on screen, he's put up a fit for an Osprey Navy issue that relies on three rapid light missile launcher twos for most of its damage dealing. Also has a couple of neutralizers to for cap warfare. It's got a, a micro warp drive a shield tank, a missile guidance computer, and then the lows are the lows and rigs are both set up for maneuverability like nanofibers and polycarbon engine housing. Uh, and then also a ballistic control uh, you know for a little bit more punch with your missiles. And it's beautiful. Looks like fun. One thing I will say about that fit, which is good to note for other fits of nano variety, the small and medium newt combo does a very good job of helping screen off assault frigates that want to try and catch you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I spent a long time thinking about what to do with the last rig slot. And, you know, a medium ANSI lets you fit a medium uh, neutralizer. So you apply that first. You can absolutely cap flatten a frigate that's on top of you. And then you start cycling the small newt offset to that. You know, you wait a couple of seconds after you cycle your medium, you start the small. Small newt doesn't newt as much, but it will uh, chew through the little bit of regen they have. It's what's left over and keep them entirely capped out and unable to do anything. Oh, thanks, Ron. That would be great. Ron's volunteering to put the fit in Discord. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Ron. Look, yeah, we have a Discord community that you can participate and talk to people. Uh, now, at least, do we have a little breaking news about a Ragnarok uh, and a and a skyscraper? Yeah, actually, um, as we just as we were going live this morning, uh, Fraternity managed to snag a uh, a test Ragnarok, um, and it is in, in a kind of a fun way. So it's not like they're not at war anymore. So it's not like of strategic significance, right? But it is kind of fun. Um, so fraternity went out, you know, not resting on their laurels, right? They, they went out over to their friend, uh, uh, Tappy space and, and Esoteria in a bunch of bombers, uh, like 50 or 60 bombers. And their goal was just to, to catch some oracles mining and harass them and then see what would come up of it. So they tackled the oracles, uh, and then test sends in a, uh, a reinforcement fleet of, of supers and kind of shoo those bombers away and to, and to save their oracles. And then fraternity go, aha, but the other shoe will drop now. And they dropped, uh, dropped in about 30 uh, suicide dreads. Uh, and because uh, one test pilot, one eager test pilot decided to 
uh, with the super fleet, took his rag, uh, his Tech 2 Fit Ragnarok. Um, just just because it's fun, might as well. And so Fraternity saw this and said, hey, we'll go after this rag. And they managed to pop the rag, and they lost, uh, I think, 15 of their, their 30 dreads. So they got half of them out. Um, so Test managed to kill 15 dreads, and then Fraternity uh, got the got the prize of their Ragnarok down. So I'm sure there's one happy rag seller in, uh, in Esoteria right now, uh, one sad rag pilot, and then a whole bunch of really happy people that got to, uh, uh, got to drop on stuff. Nice. All right. Uh, anything else before we close up? Just to throw in my uh, did you know tip, which will be useful in MTACO when you run into the large warp bubble that Rote keeps anchored on the gate. Um, you can So if you're on grid with an anchorable bubble or a dictor bubble or whatever, and you're trying to warp to something that's on the other side of that bubble, if the spot you're warping to is on grid, you will not be able to warp to it. But if you're warping to, say, a celestial or something that's off-grid on the other side of the bubble, it will let you go through. So something to be conscious of before you accidentally stop moving because you tried to warp through a bubble and David Zeta catches you. Fantastic. All right. So thank you for joining us today for another conversation about spaceships. You're also welcome to enjoy our Today in EVE Online daily show at 1500 UTC, Monday through Friday. That's hosted by Matterall. Uh, please watch more of our videos on youtube.com slash talkinginstations. Uh, please join the conversation on Talking Stations Discord, as we mentioned. There should be a link somewhere nearby or in the talkingstations.com website. A big thanks to our supporters on Patreon, YouTube, and Twitch TV who make this happen. That's all for this episode. Fly well.